Another episode of the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch with two special guests. Eric, you're you're always here. That's right. So uh, I'm week... I'm less excited for you. I'm sorry. I think that's just I think that's fair though, right? You're less excited oh. for yourself, I'm sure, and less I'm excited all... for me, I guess. I'm always less excited for myself. No, <laughs> it's good this this week especially because we do have David Hood on. He's going to talk a lot about the Dodgers draft, which was last week, and then. We'll probably delve into a little bit of prospect stuff at the end too. So happy to have him on. Um, it's gonna gonna be on in a, in a couple minutes. Uh, yeah. So we've we've got just a few non non draft non prospect things to talk about. We're gonna get through those a little quicker than we normally do because we want to definitely save most of the time uh, for talking for David. The first thing to talk about is Dodgers have been playing pretty well, despite yeah, some so otherwise they, bad news. Uh, right. Like they <laughs> they're. Um, they're, we were just talking about this before we got on there. One game over 500 right now, which doesn't sound like a lot, but given how where they started, <laughs> yeah. they were they were they were like 16 and 26 at one point, and so they're they're what 33 and 32 right now, and um, they've won like six of their or they're six 0 and one in their last seven series. So, but what was funny is that like they haven't been above one game over 500 all year. They've only and they've only done this three times. So like they're in like this weird like I mean, if uh, Arizona loses tonight, they're they're only going to be like two games out of first place. So it's a weird division again, still. But yeah, they're 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 winning, and, and we'll talk about it in a second. But I'm not sure how, but like they are. <laughs> well, yeah. no, let's talk about that before. We'll get to the bad news in a little bit. But yeah. what what are they doing to win? Like, is it is it just good kind of good performances all around, or is there one aspect that you can really attribute to this? Well, to quote, you know, Mark McGuire on the Dingers, uh, on the Dingers, on the Simpsons, <laughs> yeah, he said, you know, like, do you want the truth or you just want to see me hit Dingers? And that's basically what they're doing right now. Uh, they're just hit, hitting um, all sorts of home runs. They barely hit any in the first part of the year. Uh, I have the numbers here. Oh, yeah. So nine games in June, they've hit 26 home runs. It's crazy. They're like up near the top of the National League. I'm not sure if they're actually leading it right now, but they're either like one or two. Um and they were they were like uh, second to last in the league in like the middle of May. So like they've made a tremendous jump there. Um, and then I looked. So last year they hit 53 home runs in June, which was their franchise record. And they still have 17 games left this month. So even if they like slow down and and just go like one home run per game, which is like pretty like a pretty normal pace, you know that still puts them at like 43 for the month and they've only hit 40 in a month or 15 times ever. So pretty crazy month so far of home runs. And that's sort of, um, sort of keeping them afloat right now. So let's talk about the other shoe. The Dodgers are on, it feels like their 15th and 16th starter at this point. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's the thing. Like every, everyone, uh, every pitcher seemingly is like either, um, hurt or um, like some are slumping, or in, in the case of the bullpen, <laughs> it, it, the bullpen like crazily overworked. Like, um, so I just I made a couple of notes here. Uh, so this is on the entire season. So we had the uh, earlier in the year, Hyunjin Ryu left after five outs. He got hurt. 
Rich Hill left after two pitches against Washington. Uh, Kenta Maeda left after four outs in a game he got hurt in. Um, and then just in the last, in a five-day span last week, they had uh, Alex Wood, who was not hurt, but had a two-inning start where he gave up six runs. He was bad. And then um, they had to call up uh, Caleb Ferguson last week in Pittsburgh, and he made his major league debut. And there was a lot of fanfare, and then he went out and kind of stunk it up in the second inning. And he, he only recorded five outs. And then the next day, it was Dennis Santana making his second major league game in his first major league start. Except. Only he was scratched, literally, like, walking to the, like, or, like, in warm-ups, basically. He's, like, walking to, from the, bull, the bullpen to the field to make the start. And, like, they're, like, um, he felt something in his, in his shoulder with his slider, so we're going to scratch him. So they, like... The day after they used um, uh, eight uh, or I guess seven relievers in the in the game before, and then they ended up using nine relievers to cover nine innings on Thursday. And so, like they they the last that last week was like um, guys were getting used all the time. They they kept calling up reinforcements like every day. Like Daniel Corsino of all people, like made like was on the team on Saturday. Um, yeah, just like everyone and their mother was getting called up to, to pitch. They used 13 different relievers last week. Um, so far in June, the relievers have pitched 46 innings and the starters have pitched 34 innings. So it's, <laughs> it's like crazy. And so, yeah, they're, you know, they keep winning. They're seven and two, or no, I'm sorry, six and two in the month. So, no, seven and two. I think that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that they're, it's it, they have an off day today when we're recording. They have an off day Thursday, so that helps them out a little bit. Caleb Ferguson is going to start tomorrow. Again, they actually sent him down. Oh yeah, and the, the other bad thing is uh, they need a DL move to bring um, Ferguson up, and it's it, it, we they haven't said anything yet, but it's, it's almost got to be Walker Bueller, who's had who has sore ribs, um, and uh, he actually had like sort of suffered these like I think um, four weeks ago, or no, four weeks ago, four starts ago. Uh, Trevor Story hit a line drive like off of his rib cage and uh, didn't break anything, but like he's feeling the after effects of that. And so I remember we had the question last week. It's like, well, <laughs> how how are they going to limit Walker Bueller's innings? Well, here's how: like uh, <laughs> he, he's gonna he's gonna get hit in the ribs and then feel after effects from that. And so they, like I said, haven't announced anything. Pretty sure he's going to be the one going on the DL. That he's probably going to be back in the rotation at some point next week. But it just sort of um, you know, there's all. Anytime you think you have the rotation figured out, something's going to happen. So, like, don't even. Right. If, if someone asks me, like, who's pitching next Tuesday, I have no idea. Well, I I might ask you that <laughs> to make it strong guess because uh, the last last question I want to talk about, um, ask you before we get to talking about prospects in the draft, is what is the status of the rotation right now? Who I, I who knows who's starting? You know, next Tuesday, but. Uh, of the say top at this point, we're at kind of the top ten guys, uh, who's maybe coming back from the deal soon. Who aren't we expected to see? Uh, it feels like I have to ask this every week, but I think it's a a hard thing to keep track of. So, so, so the current rotation, um, so like these off days really help this week. Um, it looks like it looks like they have they have literally um, four starters. I think I think, and that's with <laughs> with that's with Kenta Maeda returning. So. I think it's going to be Caleb Ferguson Tuesday, um, and then Kenta Maeda uh, Wednesday. He's going to be off the DL. And then off day Thursday, and then they'll go, um, I guess, Alex Wood Friday would be my guess, and then Ross Stripling, this, just keeping those guys in order. And then, like, Rich Hill's been, like, in this aggressive sort of – he threw a uh, 
like a four inning simulated game, I think Saturday. So I don't know if that would put him in line for next weekend or if they want him to do a, a rehab assignment first. So I don't know if he's quite ready. I'm not counting him yet. So let's say Buell, or, um, Ferguson is up for two starts. So he's probably going to start Sunday unless they have to do another move. Otherwise, they have to bring up someone else because they don't have a fifth guy right now. Um, we were sort of speculating Manny Banuelos could be that guy. Um, he's not on the 40-man. Um, oh, yeah, and back to Dennis Santana. He was he ended up having a right rotator cuff strain, and he's out. He's on a 60-day heel, so out until at least August. So it's bad news all around. Um, but, yeah, uh, Kershaw's still pro- like probably a couple weeks away. Hill's probably the closest one back after Maeda. Ryu's still like July at some point. Um, so no one else is really close. They bas- Like right now, with Maeda back, probably four starters, and then uh, Bueller probably sometime next week. Well, if they need to go any further than this, it'll, a bearing a trade will have to come from the prospect system. Maybe just a newly drafted player. Maybe they'll do, you know, this uh, sort of a, a drafty special. And who... What better way to transition to uh, our our next guest, David Hood? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So David, as you know, uh, uh, many of you know, on our site writes uh, pretty much all the draft, uh, like prospectus type stuff. Exhaustive. Yeah. Like (laughs) the top 200 draft prospects. Like I was telling people last week on the podcast, like the insane amount of work you went through just to like, you know, watch video and in some cases see guys in person and like, just all the work you put into that was incredible. And then you, you mocked me for like the third year in a row, I think. You, you had a 10-round mock draft. A hit. The last year was two hits. This year was one. The Dodgers actually drafted a guy you mocked to them, so that was awesome. Um, and then, you know, just giving us giving people insight to players they normally wouldn't know anything about. So it's, it's very helpful, and, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. No, uh, so, Eric, do you want to get straight? We have six questions uh, tailored all around prospects and all around the draft. Um, do you want to get right into those, or do you want to kind of just cover the draft in general? No, let's let's do the let's do the first one because I would think you, that's I was about to say I, I just read the first question, which yeah. is would you love your uh, Eric would love not you Eric another Eric unless this is your fake Twitter is this your burner account? It's, it's not. It's not one of my burner accounts. <laughs> uh, Eric would love your thoughts on the draftees. Super general. So there you go. Yeah. So yeah, this this one um, was at you know just he was asking you know last week on this and so just in general I think David what. How would you sort of, um, I don't like, you know, you don't have to give a grade or something because no one knows this early, but like just your general thoughts on how, like what the Dodgers did this time around. Sure. Well, I, I think what was pretty clear early on was how much Los Angeles was going to be hampered by their limited bonus pool this year. Um, not necessarily being able to chase some of the bigger falling names and then kind of lacking in the ability to be creative um, as day two went on. So knowing that they couldn't necessarily do some of the things they've been able to do the last few years, um, it still looks like it could be a pretty solid class with um, a decent blend of upside and and then also some college performance that uh, should be able to move quickly through the low minors. Um, If I have a concern, it might be that the bulk of the college players in this draft um, barring some considerable development in the system, um, might top out in the upper minors. 
Um, but that's why uh, that's why you have the development staff to to work with these guys and and maximize their potential. But uh, you do have the high upside with guys like Ginn and and, and Grove at the top of the draft, um, and even Braden Fisher in in round four. So there is some chance for some really high end starting potential. Um, other than that, the other strong point I thought from the draft was the third day. Uh, several really interesting. Uh, position players and even a few pitchers that uh, should they get those guys signed uh, could make for a pretty interesting group of players to come out of the third day that you don't normally see Um, but otherwise it was a pretty I would say solid not spectacular draft for them and and they did the best with the the resources that they had available to them this year yeah and like I haven't seen a ton of like information on some of these guys signing like I know in for the most part, just about everybody signs, but like, you know, uh, with some of the guys with leverage, like the high school guys, they, they tend to, they might take the longest or have be like difference. They have a difference between their bonus and the slot value or whatever. But I saw, I thought I saw something. Um, I think the fourth rounder, uh, Braden Fisher signed, uh, he's a high school guy. I, I don't have the amount yet. So don't really know if it's like how it is relative to slot, but it sounds like he's signed and then, uh, what the 17th round outfielder, um, DeJong, he signed for over slot a little bit. And so like, other than that, not a real ton of news so far in that regard, but I, I mean, that kind of tends to happen pretty quickly here in the next couple weeks. Yeah. And there, and there shouldn't be too many surprises in the first 10 rounds. Um, even with Braden Fisher being a prep arm in the fourth round, his commitment was to Lamar's. He was kind of a pop up oh. guy. So I mean, I don't know of a strong track record of Lamar landing its top prospects on campus, but um, he was one of the guys that I specifically targeted in my mock draft, as well as another player, Lawrence Butler, an outfitter who actually already has signed. Um, maybe, was a, maybe, maybe he just really liked Preston Mattingly. So. That's that's <laughs> possible. That's a very strong possibility. Um, but uh, yeah, the. Some of those guys, the late pop-up guys that don't have the the big uh, Power Five conference commits, they're probably easier to land, or sometimes those guys go the JUCO route. But it, it wouldn't shock me if Fisher has already been been locked in. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with the third-day guys as far as what they can get done and, and sign, um, especially with some of those junior college names that look a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, and then this always comes up kind of every year. Um, um, Jacob, do you, you, you want to do the next question or should I just do it? Uh, go ahead. If it's in front Sorry. of you. Sorry. No, you're yeah, fine. Yeah. It's fine. You don't um, need me. I'll just, I'll be in the back. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Kevin from Twitter uh, asks, uh, will any of the newly drafted pitchers be starting for us this year when the rest of our rotation dies? I think what he's trying to say is, um, like who's which one of the like draftees is like closest to the majors i you know no no one can i don't think can reasonably be expected to be this year but like are there any of these guys who like are seemingly on the on the fast track relative to like the rest of the the draft well it it, it's going to depend on what they decide to do with a few of the college arms as far as whether or not they they try to keep them as starters or eventually move them to the pin uh, especially fairly quickly i know They've talked about John Rooney, the third rounder from Hofstra, and, and Brian Warzik, the sixth rounder from New Orleans, as, as guys that 
kind of have a relief profile, but they fully intend to let them try to start. Um, those would probably be the two guys you look at from this class as as guys that could actually move fairly quickly if they move to relief. Um, they're both left-handers that are a little bit short on velocity and, and don't necessarily have a, a full starter's arsenal when you look at them, but uh, they are big-time performers at their schools with, with pretty gaudy strikeout numbers that, that make you think that, that there's some solid relief potential there. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it, it it's going to be... Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, it's going to be a wait and see for a lot of these because uh, you know, you've got two prepsters in your top five picks that are going to need time, and then Michael Grove, who um, as a uh, Tommy John recovery may not even throw tail instructs. So um, it's going to be kind of a patient uh, process for a lot of these draftees. Yeah, and if we saw too, like the generally on these, like the – the fastest guys to the majors are almost always the relievers, right? Like, um, yeah, and, they, and, yeah, they just generally, I mean, they're what you see is what you get type guys. Uh, they either already have pretty solid command and just not, you know, a really strong, you know, velocity or exciting stuff profile, or they're guys with overwhelming velocity that only need average control and and can just, you know, push their way through. Um, and in this case, these two guys are, are probably more um, polish over stuff. Um, but we'll see. I mean, they, uh, the Dodgers, one thing to their credit, they have an excellent development staff. And we've seen a lot of um, things they've done with the prospects as far as either tweaking swings or um, developing different pitches for some of the starting pitchers. Um, but just as kind of how I evaluate them at this point, looking at what these guys are coming into the system. You know, Rooney and, and Warzek look like the fastest movers, but that's probably going to come as as lefty relievers. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the next thing is uh, Brandon Johnson over email asked uh, for the, the seven to 10th round picks. Uh, can you, for each one, give either a meh, an understood, or a yes? <laughs> And yes, okay. it's in all caps. So, like, I, I know generally, just for some background, the way this sort of bonus slot system is is um, structured now is, you know, uh, you get sl- a slot amount for the first 10 rounds. And generally, those, like, at least the last two, sometimes the last two to four uh, picks there are, like, undersigned guys who basically create um, money that to be used elsewhere in the draft. Um so, what what are your thoughts on on the the those picks this year for the Dodgers? Well, I'll, I'll go through the the first ten guys just to give you just kind of quick impression on all of them, just so we sure to touch on the main ones. But the first rounder, JT Ginn, he was twentieth on my board. So, you know, anytime you can get that kind of value um, at pick thirty, that's that's a yes. Now, as I mentioned a few times in, in some of my articles, that doesn't come without considerable amount of risk, namely that uh, he's a smallish uh, right-hander that has a bit of effort in his delivery and, and might end up uh, better profiling in relief, even if that's you know a pretty powerful relief arm with a double-plus fastball and, and curveball as he can get it up into the upper 90s. So that's, 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 a, good, that's a good pick. It's, it's a yay for me. I, I might have taken it in different directions just because there were so few picks in the in the top of the draft that the Dodgers kind of spread some of the risk out. But just 
evaluating the player itself, it's good value. Um, the second pick, Michael Grove, I actually had to uh, phone a friend on this one because I did not have a pretty strong uh, idea on Grove. And, and luckily they, they came through with um, a bit of a report on him and also some really good video that uh, I, I couldn't share per se, but uh, got a good impression of, of what kind of arm he is. And, and, and I am also going to say that one's a, a yes, an emphatic yes too, because I, as I said in my profile that uh, had I been able to evaluate him, I probably would have put him in the 50 grade range, which is going to put him in the back half of the top 30 of the prospects uh, before he throws a pitch for the Dodgers. So um, at pick 68 in the draft to get a, a good mid rotation type arm with some strikeout potential um, and even could, you know, show more upper rotation potential if he can um, further define that hard curveball he has or um, in some cases it's even a slider just with the velocity uh, but just getting the command on that pitch could really make him a special player um, going on to John Rooney I feel like that's more of an understood or even a meh for me uh, he was towards the bottom of my top 200 um, there was obviously more value at that point but that's this is kind of one of those deals where you, you just trust the evaluation on him um, he does look like a solid prospect as far as a left-hander that gets a lot of strikeouts. I think his ERA was around one in college, which even against mid-major competitions, still impressive. Uh, but good frame, uh, low 90s, decent slider, probably going to be a slider-heavy guy when he's in the pros. But um, like I said, that's pr probably understood to me. Uh, moving to Braden Fisher, which we talked about, that's an obvious yes. You get a high upside, really young. 17-year-old um, arm that's already starting to touch the mid-90s to upper 90s. And I think he's got a better breaking ball than he's been given credit for in some reviews. Um, it's uh, kind of this new-age curvish slurve-looking pitch, that uh, almost like a spike curve um, that I could really see a lot of when I was evaluating the prospects on video this year. So um, got, got the makings of a, of a good strikeout arm. Uh, Fifth-round Devin Mann. That's kind of a meh or understood pick. Guy that uh, does walk a lot, has a pretty decent offensive profile, and it's six foot three and two ten ish. He's 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 a pretty good sized athlete, but they announced him as a shortstop, and and reports on his defense aren't aren't stellar. Even at second base, uh, he probably ends up at third if I had to guess, which is where he's played some for Louisville in the previous seasons. Um, but there's some work to do with that swing. He's got some upper body stiffness that you'd like to see him work out, and that's something that the development staff has actually done a really good job with, um, with players similar to man like Drew Jackson after they acquired him. So I'm interested to see what the development staff can do with Devin Mann because there's, there's still some untapped potential in him, and, and he might eventually slide into a solid utility role, um, if not a starting caliber third baseman. Uh, Warzek was a sixth-round pick. Is another one's I understand it. Good college performer, tough left-hander with a with a fastball in the low 90s that can get to mid 90s, and actually a pretty decent curveball despite being just six foot and um, not really having that leverage and and playing. He still can be a heavy strikeout guy. So I understand that pick. It's solid. Uh, the seventh-round pick, James Outman, I, I really can't give an opinion on. I didn't really find much on him other than his stat line. Um, you can read some of the profiles on him. They 
aren't super glowing, but uh, it's another one we'll just have to wait and see. Supposedly solid athlete. Um, so for this case, I'll give it a meh just because I can't really give you a firm evaluation, and that doesn't always pertain to great things when you can't find much info on a player. Uh, but eighth round, Luke Heyer, senior guy. It's going to be pretty inexpensive, SEC performer. But he plays for Kentucky where they actually have an offensive-friendly ballpark. So you kind of wonder just how much of that power is real. And then you really wonder what kind of position he can play. He's listed as second base. He's just an average defender. Might end up more of as a first base, possibly even left field type player. Um, but if, if the power translates to the pros like he had at Kentucky, he could be an interesting guy and, and probably won't spend a lot of time with the low minors. So I understand it as a cost savings pick. Then the last two picks on day two are, are redrafts. Josh McLean, good speed, good defensive reputation, pretty good contact profile. Uh, I like the pick. I more understand it than an emphatic yes on it because his ceiling is probably as a defensive-oriented sub or even a even a base running specialist as like a late inning uh, pinch runner or something. But uh, it's a good value at pick at pick nine, and you're going to get him at good cost. Um, but I do think that Deacon Leap at at, uh, at ten is is a yes because of the way he's performed, especially down the stretch for Florida playing shortstop. He actually looks like he could handle the position as a pro. He's a pretty strong defender with. With an arm that's playable, uh, Matt Short, uh, the power is starting to come on. Uh, just a really good athletic profile as far as the speed and, and the body. Even though he's six foot, it's a pretty compact athletic build. Um, kind of like a Kike Hernandez type and, and maybe more of a contact over power approach. But uh, good value at 10 as well. Um, he had some issues at Florida. He's... Second time draftee for the Dodgers, so they probably know what his value is at this point. And, <clears throat> excuse me, can get him in at, uh, at good money. So um, I would give that one a yes on that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just before we were recording, um, the Super Regionals are sort of wrapping up in the College World Series in Florida, walked off Auburn. Uh, so, like, we, uh, Deacon Lippin, I believe, is the only Dodger draftee still alive. So you get to watch him in the College World Series. So if you want to, anyone who wants like a an early scouting report on him, feel free to watch those games. Um, also, before and, and, we, oh yeah, go ahead. And do go check out the walk-off style finish. It was a uh, unfortunate Jose Canseco-esque home run off the glove of the right fielder. Oh, it was. Okay. I saw something. I Is saw a tweet pretty, about uh, it, but I didn't see the actual play. That's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> The last, last night was pretty crazy, too, and those, those games have been kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. But before we move on, I just want to mention, too, um, I'm, I'm confident in Devin Mann, if only because he was in the fifth round, and Max Muncy was drafted in the fifth round. So it's clearly it's clearly where greatness comes from. So I think we'll just stick with that. Um, so I get outside of the, the top ten, I'm varying a little bit from the questions here. Um, are, is there anyone who like stood out to you that the Dodgers picked? Like any, I know that some of the high school guys you mentioned um, in the later rounds, but anyone else that you're sort of looking at? Well, the the, the best ranked player they took in the third day that uh, on my board, and I'm interested to see if they can sign is Trey Dillard. He's a reliever uh, from San Jacinto Junior College, 
um, real power arm as far as electric mid 90s fastball <clears throat> excuse me and a uh, sharp breaking ball uh, good build at 6'3 215 so you could really see him eventually filling in a, a late relief profile if they can get him locked in didn't throw a lot and he doesn't necessarily show great command but he's got the arm talent you can't teach I really liked uh, what I saw from that Aldrick DeYoung on his video as far as just a solid bat-to-ball uh, skills and his speed. And then uh, even Nico Holsizer, the uh, home run derby champ, he's got good power. And uh, leverage in his swing and also some good speed that uh, they might be able to put to use uh, once they get him in the system and work on some of his upper body stiffness as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So that, that kind of cover covers this year uh, draft. Uh, we had one other question also from uh, Brandon Johnson. He, he asked uh, someone who I've been sort of trying to get info on as well, but uh, have you heard anything about Morgan Cooper? Now Cooper was drafted last year in the second round. And I know he had, um, you know, injury issues at Texas and then, I know that the Dodgers uh, shut him down last year. They didn't. They didn't pitch him. He still is not on an affiliate yet this year. Um, I've asked around. And haven't really been able to get a straight answer on this. Although they've been really cagey with, about a lot of stuff, like oh, so and so, like so and so is just working out, or like he's he's building up stamina. But I haven't got an answer on Morgan Cooper. So, have you heard anything, or uh, what in his arm history? Like, what, what? Well, I know the current injury is is a shoulder. Yeah. which is not um, the problem he's had in the past. Obviously, he had the Tommy John. Uh, shoulders are obviously really tricky. Um, you don't want to have to operate, especially on the, the labrum. The labrum recovery is not at the same track record as the Tommy John recovery. I'm not suggesting that that's what the injury is, but uh, I haven't heard a specific timetable on that. I know he's alive. He tweeted today about uh, Texas making it to the College World Series, so he uh, he's he's around. But as far as when he's going to be pitching, it's that's still up in the air, as far as I know. And even with guys like Edwin Rios and Matt Beattie, the answer was always, uh, "Oh, they'll be here soon. They'll be here soon." Then they both yeah. show up at Oklahoma City. So, yeah. um, Unfortunately, with the prospect side, teams are kind of allowed to be as cagey as they want to be, and and the Dodgers certainly are. So, well, also they're at a point where like they're usually these guys are working out at the complex in Arizona, and there's no real like uh, media access, you know, regularly. So it's not like there's someone in the clubhouse every day like who could lay eyes on people and or ask questions. So that's why a lot of this is hard to come out, and so you have to sort of ask around and 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 get that kind of stuff. So that, that, that's good. Uh, we're just wondering and, that. And then, oh, go ahead. Well, he's just been one of the many elusives. Uh, also had difficulty trying to track down Alvarez at different points uh, oh, this right. season with yeah. expectations of going to the ballpark to see him pitch and find that it's a, a bullpen day or he's been scratched or moved. And uh, Mitchell White's been a bit elusive as well. So yeah. um, they've really I mean, been – yeah. Go ahead. Hmm. No, is Alvarez in limbo at the moment? Is he still in the deal? That's as far as I know. Um, yeah. And again, like yeah. I've been, uh, I've been hoping to see him. Just uh, 
for the sake that it didn't always yeah. go so well last season and wanting to see the what's what's been fixed this year my guess is is that uh, they've pressed pause on it for this year and are trying to work out some of the more serious kinks uh, be it injury or not but uh, i was also hoping to see mitchell white this week but unfortunately he'll be starting tomorrow on a, on a road game so that'll push that back as well but that's those have been the elusive guys for me uh, this spring so far um and i always forget this but uh, you're you're currently are you in Tulsa or are you just outside of Tulsa? Yeah, I'm I'm in Tulsa. Okay, so you you get to you if you when you're able to, it's a short a short trip to the ballpark for you to go see the Double A team. Yeah, it's uh, really you know with Tulsa it, anything is basically at least you're at most twenty minutes away. So um, that's the nice thing is that I can run down there uh, whenever it's. Uh, is convenient and trying to get there when there's a good pitching matchup for me to see just in case uh, you don't get to catch much on the hitting side but uh, the start of the season went nicely with Santana and, and Ferguson here but uh, it's become a bit slim pickings at the moment and until maybe some guys move up from the high A level but uh, it is uh, that and then also Oklahoma City only being about an hour and a half away is, makes it easy as well but that can even be trickier because of how much that roster and and pitching staff changes over as well so um so we talked about uh, yadier alvarez briefly and i think this sort of ties in well with the last question um ryan foot on twitter um asked uh, which dodgers prospect is the most likely to be included in a trade um and he added essentially who's this year's de leon calhoun from years past um and so you know, like, what, what do you think? I, I know usually um, we've done in the past where you, you you ranked, you already did this year, in fact, you ranked the Dodgers prospects by their um, their trade value. Um, and it's like, you know, a combination of like their actual value plus likelihood to be traded and et cetera. Uh, what, what do you think on this? Like, who, who what are the prospects you think are going to come up in trade talks, assuming the Dodgers are, are going to be buyers uh, in July. Well, it's a little tricky this year because given how the season's gone so far, it's hard when you look at the list and see which prospects will they not need just to fill spots yeah. due to injury or ineffectiveness. So when you start going through the list to, to answer this, you, you start crossing off several names. But given the depth they have at catcher, um, Kiebert Ruiz is, is still their their top trade chip. I mean, and you'd like to keep a guy like that that's, you know, shown some some success at the double-A level already. Um, having some growing pains, but that should be expected. It's his first real season of, you know, any kind of adversity, really, for him. So he's still their blue chip guy that's still in the minors that also they could part with in the right blockbuster trade. Um, where they still have plenty of catching depth like Will Smith and and Connor Wong at the high A level. But as far as guys that, that almost certainly, like a Willie Calhoun, is in the system as a trade chip, uh, that person probably is Edwin Rios at this point, who was my 13th-ranked prospect this year. Um, he's come back from injury really strong, really right now one of the top hitters at Oklahoma City. But you look at his profile – and uh, what do you do with him? I mean, 
he was probably going to be Max Muncie before Muncie was Max Muncie. Um, And now with what Muncie's done, um, he's kind of usurped Rios as that first base outfield-ish bench bat that that, uh, provides the power that uh, Rios could provide. So I think he's the best trade candidate. Not the kind of guy that's going to fetch tremendous return, but as we've seen from the Dodgers, the deadline, they don't necessarily go for that home run blockbuster. You know, they may do a rental like a Darvish, where that's certainly something that uh, Rios could fill for a solid rental. Um, other than that, if they're going big, it would, it would have to be. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go finish your thought. I was I was thinking of something else. Well, if they're going to go for a bigger trade. Um, you'd look at someone like a Yusniel Diaz or, or an Alex Verdugo still, um, where they have plenty of outfield depth and, and could use a current producing outfielder, which those two are hitting well, um, to headline a bigger trade if, if they needed to. Yeah, I was going to ask about Verdugo next, and basically that was it. Like he, He'd be more of a, of a bigger type deal, uh, you think, and then also like it just even like – the way the the team is currently structured and the fact that Seager's out and that Taylor is in center and presumably you'd, you'd like Bellinger at first, although that they have to figure out a place to play Muncie, so that makes it different. But, like, it's it still seems like Verdugo is someone who could help them, like, at least defensively, you know, in center because they really don't – they don't have, like, a true center fielder, it seems like right now, like, because Jock plays it every once in a while, then it's Bellinger – and like those guys, Bellinger, I think is probably pretty good, but just not not very regular at this point. Like, so does he sort of? He's in that limbo zone of like they sort of need him just in case at, for major league depth, but also like if they had to deal him to get a deal done, like they probably would. Like, is that is that sort of where he's at? Yeah, that's kind of where I see him. I mean, if somebody like a Chris Archer or, you know, an arm like that was available and, and he was the centerpiece of a move like that, then obviously the net gain, you, you take it. But yeah, he, he's, he's, he's generally ranked pretty high on my trade value list just because they've, they've had pieces in place that can kind of absorb that loss. But it's getting to the point now where, I mean, Jock's on a good streak. Obviously, Matt Kemp's had a good start to the year. Um, but any of those guys dip in performance or, or get hurt, and and you got to think between him and Tolls, those are your two guys that yeah. that need to come up and, and and contribute. So I don't think they're at a place where they could just willy nilly part with either of the two and, and not potentially suffer. Um, especially how they disabled list quite frequently, and and you know guys like even Peterson and. and and Puig uh, have a have a history of landing on the disabled list for one reason or another. So that would put Diaz as probably the best outfield prospect to deal. Um, he's not the highest ranked of them. I mean, you could look at DJ Peters, but uh, he's currently mired in, in a pretty decent slump that he's going to have to figure out as far as, you know, is it always going to be a power approach or is he going to have to do some shortening just to limit on the strikeouts? Because, uh, they're starting to expose that at this point at the double A level. I think uh, 
Peter's like just having, I talked to him a couple times in spring training, and I think his approach should be go to every pitcher that he faces and shake their hand because he has the hardest handshake that I've ever <laughs> felt in my life. So he would literally crush their hand and they wouldn't be able to pitch. And then they, then he could just hit home runs off of it. I think that's his approach. That's what he should do. And he's he is a rare physical specimen. I mean, you sometimes forget when you watch him run and play that you're talking about a six foot six guy. Um, I mean, you can obviously see it when you're up close, but you know, you may watch him run the bases or run down a ball in the gap and, and don't think much of it to realize, you know, that's a six foot six, uh, 215 plus pound guy out there making that play. So he's still a special talent and, and, Obviously, these strikeout struggles are something that's going to probably follow him being as big as he is and having to protect a strike zone the size that he has. But a um, little adversity is good for guys like that. Um, like I said, for him and Ruiz both, if they can come out on the other end, um, having figured out some of these more polished pitchers. In Ruiz's case, it's, it's not chasing after every hittable pitch, but starting to kind of narrow in on, on your zones and, and – making impactful contact on balls that you you can make that type of contact on as opposed to you know the see ball hit ball strategy that he's used through the low minors so that's the kind of, kind of the things you watch at the double a level especially with guys like peters and, and ruiz and how they develop and um i wouldn't change their their rankings today based on what they've done and and uh that's kind of the next big project for me actually is working on the mid-season updates and um, just for those two, especially, there won't be much of a big change. So, um, you, you mentioned Peters, and it just sort of reminded me of this. Uh, it wasn't quite uh, Kyler Murray level, but have you seen much of Cody Thomas play uh, this year at Rancho? I know just you know by video or or some other way, um, because he he's one of the better like athletes in the system too. Just being a former football player and, and, a, and a, a big guy in his own right uh, not quite as big as, as Peters but like where, where do you sort of see him at this point well I saw him play at Oklahoma and he was yeah. much more raw at the time but you could really see um, the athleticism uh, especially in the swing and even in, in how he could run down balls in the outfield now he did have to kind of work on his his throwing just you typically see with guys that played football quarterback and then play baseball there's a bit of a relearning training on the on the throwing technique um, that he's obviously had to go through but haven't got to see him too much at rancho but he's he's an interesting guy for me that uh, you just don't get athletes like this all the time in in baseball so I'm, I'm curious to see how he develops and even though he may not necessarily move up each ladder at an age appropriate level for him um, from a playing experience level, it's he, he's on track, I would say, um, especially with the two sport guys that can't devote all their time to to one sport, even through college. They're going to follow a different track. And and Cody Thomas is is developing it about what you'd expect for a guy that has really had limited baseball experience. So looking forward to if and when he gets to the double A level. Um, what he's able to do with the more polished pitching, but um, there's a few prospects probably at that high level that I expect to see sooner than than Cody, and um, namely Gavin Lux, who I'm hoping for any day now to move up, which I expect towards the middle of the season, so I can take a look at uh, 
what type of player he has now become as a former first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that's about it from where we're standing. Um, you know, thanks a lot for coming on, David. Um, I know I'll, I'll, in the show notes, I'll link to a bunch of the draft stuff that you wrote both before and after uh, the draft. And also uh, people can follow you on Twitter at David C. Hood. Um, yeah, Jacob, anything else you wanted to add? No, I think that's it. We've got a nice link on this episode. Um, we'll be back next week with sort of a more normal, less exciting episode. But you know what? We're going to inject extra excitement to make it work, won't we, Eric? Yeah, and I think let, let's shoot for next week. Let's shoot for less than 13 relief pitchers being used <laughs> in, in the week preceding. So. I'm sure you'll, t- you'll tell us how many were, and we'll see if we can break that record just for you. Absolutely, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.